A podcast one production. <laughs> oh, I don't know. From the top. Everybody, let, let me tell you about my love. Brought over the to no Christian you over it. By an, an angel from above. <coughs> Fully queen. Oh, that is dulcet. With a lifetime guarantee. I'm need a tissue. Once you try, <laughs> I am sure that you'll see. Without magazines. <laughs> I know how ironic it is. We're about to just talk about how sad the death of print media is because we're gays and we kind of raised ourselves on a healthy diet of Virgitalia. The irony of doing this on a podcast, I accept, and I don't want you people listening to judge it. Like, I am fully aware of the hypocrisy happening here and I just get on the boat. We would write about this in a magazine, but you can't buy them anymore. But you assholes are not going to buy it. So I, I blame you. Yeah, I blame you, Sarah. Mary. This is Radical Fashionism with Christian and Andy. And we're doing a podcast because what we're wearing is too good for you to look at. I remember when I was just a little boy, looking back five years ago when I was at school. You were biologically born a boy? Um, and I every month I would spend my week money. I wouldn't eat during the week because I'd buy US and Australian Vogue and Bazaar every month. And my yeah. mum was like, that's ridiculous. Go buy food. Print media is in, I'm going to say limbo for me. I feel like it's in limbo. I very much think that it will end up a bit like the vinyl. You know, it yeah. will still be produced because people love it. And, Luxury it, and, it, and it has this nostalgia. It has this romantic feel where you go out of your way to use and purchase it. Yeah. But I don't think that it will be a necessity. It's a shame. Do you know you used the vinyl, used vinyl as your example? The difference between that and a magazine, though, is a magazine, like whether you listen to the record on Spotify or you listen to it on a vinyl, it's still curated by the artist and the artist team. A magazine and its opinions were part of one conglomerate work that was curated. I mean, I don't want to call a magazine an echo chamber, but like if you agreed with what was said in Italian, like I don't agree what's said in US folks, so I don't read it. I don't have to read it. I don't want to be a part of that lifestyle. Now, I guess with the transferal... fashion magazine, not a celebrity magazine. Put models on your cover. With with the transferal of fashion from print media to now the internet, there's a lot of voices screaming at you from some incredibly educated and beautiful places and others from straight out of the butthole. Like... And I think that in itself is the real sadness. And this coming on from kind of the last era of fashion, which I call the birth of the editor, which is when all the editors became the new celebrities. Like in the 90s, you had the supermodel. Then in the 90s, you had the celebrity. And then kind of in the late 2000s, 10, 11, 12, you had the birth of the editor when we were obsessed with Anna Wintour. We were obsessed with Karl Lagerfeld. We were obsessed with Anna Della Russo. Like we wanted to know these people and Karine. why. Yeah. Oh, uh, Grace Coddington. Like there were these, oh, I just wanted to know everything about them and why they were feeding. Even like photographers became celebrities. Tim Walker, you, you, you changed, you know, you wanted to know who Terry Richardson was diddling. You wanted to know that La Chapelle was building these sets. Like, and it was like a moment in fashion history and then gone. But we're also seeing a big push for diversity, which I do hope will 
sort of extend the life of the magazine. I know when Edward Enerfield, I think I'm saying his name correctly, became the editor of Vogue UK in 2017. With him, he brought in this new wave of diversity where previous to him, I think there was one person of colour working at Vogue and now there are many people of colour. There are many people of size. There are many people of age, of different backgrounds. Yeah, absolutely. I think think part of this conversation that... I don't want to ignore is when we talk about print media, often Vogue internationally sucks all the oxygen out of the room. There is a lot and have been a lot of beautiful magazines doing this for a long time. I think one of the saddest things to happen to magazines was the closure of Interview Magazine. Yeah, that hurt my feelings. Also VS, but interview, like just the historic relevance Started of that. Started by Andy Warhol. Like- yeah, I mean, it was definitely an art movement, but I mean, you have some great print out there that's still going. You have Love, you have Om, you have all the Anothers, Another Man and and another kind of, I guess they're women's magazine you'd say, but it's quite kind of gender fluid. You, you've got Purple, which has like been a Bible for me in my life. They do exist, but they're just becoming harder and harder to get your hands on. I don't know if this is because the world maybe is becoming more accepting, but for me, I found a lot of strength for the person that I was going to become in, in the pages of these. Yeah. Well, the, the pages had a literal weight on you. Oh, yeah. And, like, I didn't feel like... Like, I could have been being bullied by everyone at school. I could have been alone, hiding under the bed. But that those magazines became my friends. And I, I think about the photographers still now, like Stephen Mizell, and they they were my confidants and I they understood me. And, look, I'm old. I'm an old lady now. Maybe, you know, and I'm like... Oh the kids aren't having that I worry that there's no one hugging them like maybe they do get that from Instagram maybe they do get that from Tumblr I don't know I just look at porn on Tumblr so I'm not sure I, everyone looks at porn on Tumblr that's what it's for Tumblr's right. not used for anything it's done. I don't always just jerk off on Tumblr though. always Tumblr because on your Tumblr feed though sometimes it's not porn like I also follow like men's fashion so I, I will go to a porn Tumblr oh you're not just like on your explore no, page no no see I'm just I'm like because I want to see the freshest newest vids and then there's like Galliano's Dior and it kind of ruins the mood. Well, I feel like that, if anything, would kind of perk me back up. I have a question for you. When you would look at these magazines, when you would pick up British Vogue or Love or any of those magazines and you would look at the pictures, you would obviously really, like, you would digest them. You would, like, fucking masticate it. I would go through each page, each, like, You would look at every dress and how much it costs. You know how they would have, like, you know, Giorgio Armani and how much it was? Being a little boy and, like, I used to be obsessed, I mean, I still am, with the Academy Awards. I would get to stay home every year to watch Mm -hmm. the Academy Awards because my dad was always over there and I used to love watching him but I afterwards I would go through these magazines and I'd look at them and I'd think if I was invited what would I wear if I was a woman and I was invited what What would would I I wear wear? and I'd cut out these images and I'd paste them up and there was just such a romance to it it was an escape for me absolutely like I would I remember looking at this it was a copy of um, V magazine and it had this red it was like a ruffled uh, Armani Privé dress and it had its price and it was like the first dress I'd ever seen that was over $10,000 and I really like digested that information do you still digest that information as intensely on the internet or do you just go cute double tap scroll past I still read a lot of articles online. So I definitely do think that I digest it 
just as much. I must actually admit, I almost sometimes think that I digest it more because I will be on my phone. I will see an interesting article pop up on Vogue or Vanity Fair. Oh, I don't mean like an article. I don't mean what you're reading. I mean like these clothes, like these pictures. Like, a, like, oh, no like I would like no, look no. at a Tim Walker photo and I would look at that. I would look at that glossy photo on the high res. I would look at it for hours. Yep. Now, do you do the same thing or do you just look no. at it, go cute, like next? Yeah. You might zoom in once or twice and then scroll on. Yeah. You definitely don't have the same intensity as you did with print. So I think this is the difference here. Photos and imagery, I'm not obsessing over anymore. But I agree with you. Articles I will read because I can easily access three articles on the same topic that maybe have different opinions and then I can form my own opinion. Yeah. So we're not living in the echo chamber of the magazine anymore. Like I, I kind of am more easily reading something and I'm like, yeah, that's cute. Let's see what idiot number two said about it. Oh, they disagree. What did idiot number three say about it? And then I'm forming my own opinion. I think what has really died with magazines that was advertising. I miss beautiful yep. ads. And I know that's terrible to say because we shouldn't be consumerist pigs, but oh. But it wasn't even so much about buying the items. Yeah. It was about, you, you'd turn to the Versace page oh. and you'd be you'd be brought into this Versace world and then you'd turn to the Gucci page and you'd be brought into this completely different, but just as vivid, just as romantic world. I come from regional Australia as well. So as a child, like I never saw those stores, those stores didn't exist. The closest I could get to that lifestyle and that level of fashion was those ads. Like I would buy these magazines and I would get excited when like a brand that didn't normally have an ad would have an ad. Like I'd be like, oh my God, there's a Rashas ad in, you know, this copy of fucking whatever magazine I'd gotten from the news. I would be like, oh my God, they never have an ad. It would be like seeing the store. Like I would get excited for it. I do also think that on the flip side, it is very exciting that now people who are in a similar position who might not have enough money to because magazines are expensive like a US mm. Vogue is like $20 yeah you know like, like that's, that's cash that's I've- a lot of money that now fashion has become so much more accessible and I think that there are definitely magazines who have incorporated this online thing such as Vanity Fair with their Instagram portrait studio or Vogue with their 73 questions oh, yeah. which go hand in hand and they have made these things much more accessible where if you can't get the magazine you can still have a slice of the cake yeah I agree I love YouTube though and this is kind of a little off topic. I remember the first time I like heard about YouTube because I used to be that person who would like sit on the radio with like a blank cassette in there and like wait for my song to play and record it so I could listen to it again and again, like off the radio. And then like YouTube happened and I was like, wait, you can watch the music video whenever. I didn't have to get up at 2am and watch Rage all the way through to see it. I can watch it whenever I want. Like I can just watch the video clip. Like, and now in 2018, I have like this thing in my hand. If I want to watch Holly Valance's Kiss Kiss classic video clip right now, I can do that. So now with fashion on that point, if I'm sitting here talking to you and I'm like, blah, 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 blah. And I think of like a Galliano runway or I think even more fucking obscure. If I think of like a Sonia Riquiel runway from like early 80s, I can access that. I can get the whole runway and her like thoughts on it. Whenever I'm sad, you will find me watching Alexander McQueen golden shower runway. It's, it's <laughs> I, what, do it's, it's, I do Horn of Plenty. I do Horn of Plenty. It's the runway that actually made Giselle Bunchen. It's the one that sort of shot her into superstardom. 
Um, but I love watching that. That's, I love, and the fact that I can watch it whenever. Absolutely. And do you know what's even better too? And I think this is like a testament to the internet. And I guess we're of the dot com generation, so I'm gonna like fangirl for the internet a little bit. I love weirdos who like edit stuff. Like I watched this runway. It was like Galliano. I don't know, spring 2011, and they like took the video footage and then they put it to a remix they did of Whitney Houston's like "There's a Boy," and it's like they've like made this weird hybrid of like how they thought the runway should go to this song. I love that the internet has afforded people the luxury of, like, getting strange with shit. How do we get back to that, like, real place of authority? Or does that not need to exist anymore? Do we just all get a voice now? Are we all Anna Wintour? Should I get a bob? You should get a bob because you look good with a bob. Mm. Yeah. Anna Winter, she's just called. She's having a fashion crisis. We've sorted her out. I'd ask Anna how she plans to foster the next run of designers because she was instrumental in cementing people like Marc Jacobs, Carolina Herrera. I think that's kind of why she's been around so long because what she did was she made like a fashion family and that fashion family supports and protects her. I think it's very easily reflected in The Devil Wears Prada, in that scene where Meryl Streep is almost fired and she puts forward the list, the list of designers, photographers, stylists, people that would follow her. And I think yeah. that you can see how that is based on Anna because she has fostered these She's people. She's a fashion family. And that's great. I think, you know, people in fashion supporting other people in fashion is something we don't have enough of. But I would like to see what Anna is doing for the future. Obviously, there's the Vogue Young Designer Award where they give $100,000 to a young designer that wins and blah, blah, blah. They go and live their best lives and they have $100,000. But I would like to see who and how she is going to navigate this landscape of new designers and who she thinks voice is the loudest or the most important like who's going to be the next mark who's going to be the next carl like who who's going to be the next thing and then i'd ask her if she's ever going to wear black and if she's ever going to give up fur what do you have views on fur i have two furs which are very 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 old one of them was my great grandmother's which was given to me the other one i found in a market and they're both vintage and i know that's awful i have new fur Look, I know that you're going to be angry at me out there and I'm sorry. I'm really sorry. And I love that you care about this and it's so important that you care about this and I champion you care about this. I care about things too. This is not one. I know that it's not right that how we kill them. I know it's so terrible. I've watched the videos. I've watched the videos of the minks getting skinned alive, watched them getting thrown into the bathtubs full of water. I want to hug them. I want to kiss them. I want to take them home and set them up with a good uni fund. And, you know, I want to make them the justice of the Supreme Court. But I also really want those cute boots. Like, I want them. I want to wear them. I want to wake up to them in the morning. And that makes me, you know, a bad person. But this is... This is an industry of duality. There is a lot of beauty and love and there's a lot of darkness and evil. And that's just kind of what I have reconciled with myself. Fur is murder and murder is fun. Let's have some fun. We're going to take our pants off. Oh, can we take our pants off? This is the part of the podcast where we get really freaky. Could I? Or would I get like sued? No one's going to sue you. I'm just going to take them down to my knees. Yeah, that's fine. Christian wore these beautiful blue vinyl pants. He's just decided that he needs to pull them down because his crotch is getting so sweaty. I have never... Yuck, Christian. I have never felt more like a victim. Like, I feel like this is a personal attack on me. I just wish I hadn't worn tidy whities today. I'm so much more comfortable. Why are your underwear so baggy? You wear these undies all the time. Yeah, but I don't take my fucking pants off when I'm in them, though. Oh... 
That oh. smells too. Yeah. It's just like a whole bunch of sweat. I feel so much more comfortable now. And you wonder why boys don't want to talk to you. <laughs> I've never wondered why boys don't want to talk to me. I'm well aware. Poodles. If you don't have legs, you can't wear high heels. And if you don't have a brain, here's a history segment. Watch closely. Welcome to the Radical Fashionism School of Fashion for the Gifted. And the Not-So-Gifted. I love it. I like that whenever you give a history segment, they're like slightly conceptual and like you've like dug a bit deeper into like the meaning of something. And when I do it, it's the history of the magazine. (laughs) Wine and magazines. What is the most obvious history lesson I can give you? No, tell me about them. I don't really know much about magazines. Well, the first sort of real kind of documentation of a mag is in the early 1600s and it was called The Treasure of Hidden Secrets. And its description for who it was for, I feel like it's very fitting for you. It's either for gentlewomen honest matrons or virtuous virgins. Would you say that that is... Are you giving me a history of just magazines or a fashion magazine? Fashion mags. Okay, yeah, fashion yeah, mags. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was, like, when fashion mags first, like, kind of became a thing. Because, like, magazine... Well, like, little plates and shit were around where people, like, wrote stuff. But, yeah, that was, like, the first kind of fashion mag. That's really how I still document things in my life is writing <laughs> it on little plates and things. Let me just etch this into this piece of wood. But then, you know, it was more uh, in the late 1600s, early 17th... Hundreds. <laughs> um, it was under, like, Louis the Fourteenth that these illustrated plates kind of became a really big thing. What I really like about this as well is that, like, obviously humans were the same back then, essentially, as they are now. And there was also, like, a focus on, like, lifestyle trends as well. So, like, also part of these fashion illustrations, these fashion plates, it was, like, what carriage is hot right now? Oh. And, like, how to dress your pony up when it's, like, riding around. And I'm like, yes. I'm really sad that there's no more, like which carriage is in. Yeah, I think we should get back to carriages, particularly with the state of the environment. I mean, and then surely there's less emissions in a carriage. And then come the Georgian era, retail accelerated, so fashion plates, as they were called, became bigger and more detailed. Then there was also advertising <laughs> they were that like, came they in. They became fashion dinner plates. Yeah. <laughs> it was a full service. You could eat your food on it too. Yeah, it was a full service plate. And then that's when advertising came into it. So there was, you know, higher production value. So instead of like one bow, they had two. I don't know. Then come the mid-19th century, there was an increase in printing methods. So it saw, a f- like, we move away from the plates. We moved on to paper, which is, like, right on. But also what I really like about this is, like, during this time, there was suddenly a focus on women doing leisure activities because before this it was always based on the household and dressing for men. But now we saw women, when they were illustrated, they were out having coffee and they were out catching a train, as the women around then did. I mean, this kind of leisure activity business, when the birth of the camera comes and you have impressionism, fauvism and those things kind of happening through Paris, kind of the Trouss-Lautrec posters at the Moulin Rouge, like they were all very focused on capturing fabric in movement as well. So I guess, I mean, if we're looking at the fashion magazine as just a documentation of fashion, it's really existed since the moment we've decided to paint on shit, right? I feel like this was a perfect, like, kind of description. Someone said to me the other day, they're like, I love the podcast, I love listening to it, and I feel like you two work so well together because sometimes Andy comes out with these, like, really grandiose, like, 
elaborate, detailed ways. Like he's so articulate talking about these things and I don't really understand. And then you kind of say it in like a simpler way. And I was like, yeah, I'm the stupid one. (laughs) Carry on, carry on. Get me to, I want to get to the printed word. Okay, well then come 1891, I really liked this. There was the new magazine called Forget Me Not. And this was the first time that a magazine, a fashion magazine, was actually pitched to working class women. Because previous to this, it was all kind of about the wealthy. 1909, Condé Nast took over Vogue. And then in 1913, it's when Vogue really started um, using photographs instead of illustrations. But it was also during this time that we saw this really big kind of divide in fashion. And these labels emerged that had such clear different directions because no longer were we illustrating what these clothes looked like. They were the exact representation. So Scaparelli, Chanel, L'Envon, Balenciaga, they all kind of emerged in their own ways because they were being portrayed exactly as they were meant to be portrayed by their designers. I mean, realistically, the camera was, I guess, invented and put into mainstream culture from 1816. It's accepted that Impressionism started around the same time with kind of the distortion of light. But I guess when you have the houses beginning, L'Envon being the first they would need to get what they're doing out. Yeah, and it's uh, previous to that, all magazine, if you look at all the covers, they all were illustrated and it was obviously up to the illustrator as to what they put emphasis on. So you quite often saw these designs almost become caricatures. Then we're moving into the 50s and the 60s, which saw a movement towards much more fluid and spontaneous movement. There was sexual focus in these things. Again, we saw this move for fashion magazines for women being directed, which I think is great. Then in 1966, Danielle Luna became the first African-American model to cover a Vogue cover. It was actually British Vogue. It wasn't until eight years later that Beverly Johnson, Beverly Leslie... Beverly Leslie... Um, became the first black woman on American Vogue. And then my last point here, I couldn't, I was trying to find like when EMAG started. I couldn't get like a definite start date, especially for like fashion EMAGs. So I thought that I'd just make special mention to one of my previous favorite EMAGs, which was Hillary Mag. Do you remember Hillary Mag? Yeah. <laughs> and a good time. This girl, this she was 15 at the time in 1995, and she was started Hillary Mag, Hillary Rowland. She was a Canadian girl, and then it's become like this kind of big thing. Well, it was big in like the noughties, but that was like the first kind of one of the first fashion mags that I could find on the E. I think if we want to look at the Australian landscape, there was a time there where we were all reading like Oyster and Rush and mm. Australian magazines, even like Frankie as teen Frankie girl. Frankie was such a thing. Yeah, as teen girl as it is. Like we are in Australia, it was quite a movement. And we were talking the other day how when I was 18, 19, 20, the street zine was so big. Like everybody was making their own street zine, you know, curating it, getting their friends to ride in it. Even when Fantastic Man brought out their gay street zine, butt magazine, like it became this, it was its own movement as well. It was like another genre of magazine. We need to create our own fanzine. It's just with just headshots of us. Yeah, duh. Just like us doing different things. You like to write stuff. You can write stuff and I'll like put sparkles on it. Yeah, that's a really great idea. Yeah. Yeah, check. This is Radical Fashionism with Christian and Andy. So we're joined here by the fabulous former editor of Harper's Bazaar Australia, Kelly Hush. Thanks for coming in. Oh, thank you for having me. (laughs) Why are the September issues the biggest issues? I think a lot of people always wonder why. 
commercially, mm-hmm. um, biggest ad revenue. Um, we're ad- advertising models, so most of our revenue comes from advertising. The big fashion houses have their new season campaigns around September, so it's when all the new seasons, so spring, summer. Of course. Yeah, 2019 is launched around here, so that's what we're showcasing, and it's when all our luxury advertisers want their ab- new advertising campaigns to go in. So really it's on revenue as well as um, all the new fashion. Does your page count change much via September issue to a November issue? How much heavier are we? Um Absolutely heavier. So it, sometimes it can be double, and it's so usually it's, double well, what a June July issue is because June yeah. July tends to be small um, yeah. end of financial year. So yeah. it's fashion also has a business element. Yeah, so that you know that boring word, but it does have a business element. So June July tends to be one of our smaller issues, and then September can be abs- double. Yeah, like June, June July is just like a really easy evening clutch, whereas September you need that thirty centimeter Birkin to yeah. carry that around. You want you want oh, to get I that love up your some analogies. <laughs> How do you keep a magazine afloat these days? How do you keep the boat from sinking? Because holy shit, they are dropping like flies. I'm ruthless, so um, you don't want to you don't want to mess with me. No, you have to listen. I have to have a commercial brain, and of that's course. why I keep coming back to the money side of the business. If if I didn't have a commercial brain. I would have been out of there in a second. So as much as I'm, you know, I'll put a few, you know, I'll puff my chest up. I'm a great visual person. Mm -hmm. I have great contacts. I'm a really good journalist, but I'm also a good commercial person. Of course. And I guess in this climate too, and where we are creatively in fashion and each of these big houses trying to bang their drum the loudest, advertising has, and I mean, it it has always had an editorial element, but I feel like now when I'm sitting down and I'm flicking through Love or I'm flicking through any of those, you know, CR magazines, those like really heavy hitting fashion magazines, the, the advertising is even more kind of visually driven now. So it's almost yeah. like an editorial because everybody knows you don't make any money from editorials. So it doesn't make you any money. Yeah. The model doesn't make any money. No. Photographer doesn't make any money. No. And you don't make any money. I don't any make money. any money. It costs yeah. me money. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like it costs cash. But now we're living in the age where you, and I think it's things like Instagram and the internet that have, that can, I can get ads so quickly. You need to trick me into thinking that your ad is actually some beautiful lifestyle yeah. moment that I need to live in. Yeah, and quite quite often you can't even understand what they're advertising. Oh, well, look at the Comte de Garçon ads. Yeah. And this is yeah. for the last 20 years. Like she just yeah. shoots a piece of crumpled paper and yeah. then it just says, come to us on shirt. So yeah. That's why I always really like fragrance ads because they're advertising something that you, like what you're actually buying, you can't at all understand through that. Like obviously sometimes they put the little sample in there, but when they don't, I'm like, that's so interesting that through this visual medium, you you're selling it. something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. And you're buying literally into that lifestyle yeah. when you can't even see it. I think at the end of the day too, and why I've seen so many magazines that I love, die is they lost the art of storytelling they started to rely just on the on the pictures to tell the story and sure grace coddington can tell me a story through styling when Stephen mizel's doing it and she has the entire and she's doing the wizard of oz here nightly weighs 30 kilos soaking wet in it of course you can tell a story like that but Every day when I was picking up V Magazine and you saw it in the beginning and then you saw it towards the end where it just became stale. And I get it. You've got a great pool. I get it. You've got great stylists. But if you're, if there's not something there that like can resonate with me, that's not just fashion. It, I don't understand how it's going to play out in the market. Uh, I agree. And I think what social media has done and digital media is that for a long time, the thinking was, oh, we have to do what they're doing. So you can't do long form journalism every, anymore. It has to, you know, can't be any more than 450 words, 800 max. And I don't believe that. No, absolutely not. I will sit, if a story is compelling, will I will sit, sit down and, read, and it. read it. And I don't, I can have a spill page to the back of the magazine, 10 of them. I don't care if, if it's a really compelling read, I will sit there and I'll make time to read it. And there's stories that 
that need to be told. I think, if, you know, if they're not fashion stories, if they are fashion stories, I think, you know, it, it, back when I was a child, the only kind of place where you could see the whole collection was in those Collectioni magazines where they would have the rundowns of the yeah. looks and you'd buy it. It was $93 they cost and I would buy them and I would sit down. But now I can do that on the internet for free. Yeah. So I don't need a magazine anymore to see the collection. What I need a magazine for is to understand the lifestyle and to feel the collection. Yeah. As an editor, how much importance have you placed on the digital and the social side of this? Oh, it's huge. It's huge. You cannot ignore it. But what I tell everyone when they ask me about it, it doesn't make as much money. There's lots of eyeballs there, but it doesn't make as much money. So right now it's not going to overtake print, um, but the eyeballs are incredible. Do you think the pendulum's swinging back? Are people sick of that quick short stuff? Oh, absolutely. And I think it's authenticity. We say it all the time. Like we are authentic. Mm. Um, I think, you know, people question, you know, influences because yeah. they're on the payroll for someone. And, you know, we are an authority, we are authentic and we do our work. It's the- not, you know, and I think there is that people are coming back to traditional media for that reason. Completely. My, my analogy that I play out is a shot is fun, but a cocktail is delicious. It takes you a, more, a little longer to I'd drink. I'd rather a bit. glass of Pinot, personally. Yeah. But. <laughs> in the bathtub with yeah, some yeah, Celine yeah, Dion yeah, on. Yeah. But like a shot is fun. Don't get me wrong. Love a shot. But a, like a, a, a cocktail is much more delicious. Yeah. The challenge is, is your generation, to be honest. Um, you know, there was chat chatter the other I day. I'm 54 and I deserve respect. <laughs> You're younger than me. But it is. It's, it's ensuring that that we take you guys on for the journey because if we don't convince younger generations that there is value in in these mediums, then we're screwed. I find a lot of those sort of big fashion, like heavyweights, there's an unwillingness to really incorporate the younger generation. Yes. And I feel like that sort of creates this animosity towards them. It's oh, a, it, I, I yeah. agree. I totally agree. And I and I think what we can see what's happening with some of those really big mastheads in the US, which I think you know which one I'm talking about, there mm. really needs to be fresh blood put in there. And I don't know everything and I know I don't know everything. Like music isn't my thing. You know, I need to have people around me, young people who are, are living it, breathing it, to tell me what we need to be talking about. Who are the amazing young music- musicians coming through? Who are the next models that we should be talking about? You know, the next hair and makeup artists, the next photographers. I need people because if it was just me, we'd be in trouble. Any magazines that you look up to? Are there any that you read? It might, you know, it doesn't have to be oh, like... Oh, listen, I love what Lucy Yeomans is doing with Porter. I absolutely oh, love Porter. Yeah. That's um, a really yeah. good answer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Lucy is an ex-editor of Bazaar, so I know Lucy quite well. And I love... That is the only other magazine I will pick up every month and read. Um, I think their mix of fashion and stories about women and mm. culture, I think is really, really good. I think, you know, I always say to her when I see her in Paris, but you've got massive budgets, haven't you? And she always just laughs at me um, because, you know, it's just visually beautiful. Well, they, they really do incorporate sort of an artistic approach to their fashion. It's not just high fashion. It, it's it's very different. And each yeah. edition is so sort of different. And I love that it tells a different story. It really is. Yeah. Oh, it's beautiful. And they do what, you know, fashion magazines used to do. They travel, right? Mm. So that they, you know, they travel for their fashion and yeah. And, and you know, they've just done a really incredible issue on sustainability and you know she's really thinking about what people care about now so I think I think Lucy is an incredible editor and I think Porter reflects that. 
I know a lot of people do bang that drum and say print media is dying, it's finishing. But to really understand these collections, because a lot of the people who say that print media is dying are people who also love fashion, to really understand the collections, Bill Cunningham said something that has stayed with me my whole life, is you need to see it on the runway, you need to see how the women wear it in events, you need to see how they wear it on the street, and you need to see how they print it in the magazine. You will never have a holistic view of fashion if there isn't the print media element. It is just too ingrained in the DNA of fashion. So bringing the young back to magazines or with magazines, I don't think we ever really left, I think is one of the great kind of movements of modern fashion is to make us put down our phones and pick back up those kind of presses that have the stories that have the moments. Yeah. Oh, you know, and I think that's what it does. And it's, you know, in magazine, magazine lingo, we have a wall which we basically put the whole issue up on, you know, which you've probably seen the September issue, and it's all up on the wall. And I walk past it. September issue, I'm familiar. I don't know what you're talking about. I just go, oh, you know, it's beautiful. And it's just like, and I have this saying at work, you know, which drives my staff mad, but. When we're talking about a shoot, you need to produce something where you want to be the girl in that shoot, right? Because fashion sometimes, you know, girls, some of my team like to do that, really pushing the limits. It comes back and the fashion's ugly, the styling's ugly. And I'm just like, do you want to be that girl? Like, I don't want to be that girl. Like, you know, do you want to be that girl? No, no, but it's cool. It's like, no, it's... No. Yeah, I No, hate it's that, not. You know, you can push it and make it edgy, but there is still, I need to look at it and go, you know what, I may not be a rock chick, but I want to be a yeah, that rock chick yeah. today. I, that thing with fashion, that that word cool, I feel, in this yeah. anti-fashion movement is such a word we use. The word cool gives me a rash. Like, this is a cool jacket. <laughs> this is a cool. This is a cool party. Like, <laughs> there is nothing romantic about cool. Well, I'm more interested in the soul Fashion of needs to be fun. And I feel like fun is the complete opposite of cool. You know, like it's, it's in order to be cool, I feel like you almost need to give up fun. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that another magazine thing we talk about all the time, it, it's like, do you walk into the room and people want to come around you or are you that cold girl in the corner that no one, everyone thinks is cool, but won't hang out with you because yeah. you're too cool for school. And it's like, okay, no, we want to be that gorgeous woman that walks in the, in the room that everyone gravitates to towards because she looks amazing, is smart and rocks it, right? Not the really cool, cold girl in the corner. But, you know, September issue, you know, just getting, you know, just seeing all these, like it's seriously not good for my credit card because when I start doing the, in January, I come back and go, I'm not spending much money this year. And then the net of Porter and matches sales start. So I start spending money and then the September issue hits. That essence sale is dangerous. I I got a text yesterday from Harold's 50% off and literally I called them straight away. I was like, can you please hold those comms shots? Thank you. (laughs) Yeah, one. We're, if we're on the Aria's red carpet, we're hosting the Aria's red carpet. Christian and I, we're in full like com tartan looks. We're, oh, I did. I saw that. We're in, you look fabulous. Thank yeah, you. we are. We're hosting. We're frigging busy. Channel Nine for some reason has given us a fucking microphone for God knows what reason. <laughs> Christian gets a call. I'm like, oh shit, this is it's going down. Something really important is going down. Christian's like, yeah, no, we can be there. Absolutely, no worries. Yep, thank you. No, uh, yep, no. And I'm like, what's going? He's like, no, yeah, that's fine. We'll be there. We'll be there first thing. It's fine. Absolutely fine. I get off the phone. I'm like, oh my god, what's happening, you guys? Harold's is seventy percent off tomorrow. They're holding the Givenchy dress for us. So I, was like, I was like, "Oh my god, thank God!" We should just go home now. I got a pair of Valentino Palazzo pants that were three thousand dollars for two hundred dollars at the Harold's. Is it yeah. on now? No, not now. It was lovely talking to you. Well, sorry, bye. <laughs> Well, that was fun. Quick, better call your dad. Quick, hurry. Yeah. Yeah, let's see if he picks up this time. I wonder what old man Coco's doing. It won't matter because he won't answer your call. Hi, thanks for calling. Leave a message and I'll get right back to you. Bye. 
Hi dad, just me again. Um, I can see that it's gone through to voicemail. Um, anyway, we had Kelly Hush on the podcast before and don't worry, I didn't do anything to embarrass you. I was very mature. There was only one time that I tried to put her hair in my mouth, but it just looked really tasty. Um, but basically, did you know that she's kept like all magazines in Australia afloat pretty much? Like she is what's like being the pinnacle of it. Speaking of being afloat, Andy and I just got invited to go on a boat, um, which we're going to do. So I don't know when it's coming back, but we'll see you like soonish, I guess. Bye. Radical Fashionism was presented by Christian Wilkins and Andy Kelly, created in collaboration with Podcast One Australia. Producer Alex Mitchell, executive producer Jennifer Goggin. Sound production by Darcy Thompson. For more episodes, go to podcastone.com.au, download the Podcast One app or search Radical Fashionism on Apple Podcasts.